Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Hi there, it's Julia Louis-Dreyfus. You may know me from my podcast called Wiser Than Me, where I talk to older women and get their wisdom from the front lines of life. I was amazed by how many people told me our show made them look forward to getting older, which is why I'm here to talk about season two of the show. Sally Field, Billie Jean King, Beverly Johnson, Ina Garten, Bonnie Ray, just to name a few. All hail old women. Wiser Than Me season two is out now from Lemonada Media. Hey y'all, and welcome back. Today we're going to cover Christopher Nolan's Tenet, and we're going to break down whether or not it is, is his worst film, as the tomato meter says, or whether it's a general confusing mess. Uh, we have a few fan shout outs for this one. Sebastian Moreno and also Arthur Howell. Thank you for this suggestion, and I hope y'all are well and excited for this episode. I am, although my brain still has not got my head around what I saw. Tenant is rated 70% fresh on the tomato meter and 76% fresh on the audience score. And we have a super special guest here today who is with us from our Batman v Superman episode, Mike Kalinowski. He's an actor. You can check him out on Black Monday, Jane the Virgin. He's also the host of the DC Movie News podcast. And he is a five-time movie trivia showdown champion and current inner geekdom division champ. And he's going to give us a quick tease about his thoughts on Tenet. Mike? So Rotten Tomatoes, what do they say? This is his worst reviewed film of all time. You're insane. Yeah. That's ridiculous. I think people just do that because they don't understand it. This is, I didn't understand my first time either, but I got there. I eventually got there. This is ridiculous. I got to defend this thing. Come on now. Oh, Come on now. I appreciate appreciate your riled up. Uh, In a moment, we're going to get to chatting about the movie, but itself and then talk some behind the scenes movie trivia. But first, and I do not envy my co-host, Mr. Mark Ellis, this for one second, but (laughs) as quickly as you can without popping a blood vessel, please try to describe what is Tenet about. Before I do that, Jacqueline, I'm just going to preemptively defend myself from the comments and say, folks, if you're listening to us for the first time, when we do a synopsis, it's intended to be a brief, overarching synopsis. And thank God that is the case for this particular movie, because we're going to take some James Bond. We're going to take some Mission Impossible. We're going to take a little bit of Time Bandits, a dash of source code and some primer, put it into a Vitamix and out comes Tenet. John David Washington stars as a guy who we're not really sure who he's working for, but it might transcend national boundaries because he's got to stop a nuclear weapon from detonating, but it could have already gone off or it could be going back in time because we're not necessarily time traveling in this movie, but time can be inverted in the form of bullets or weapons or fights or cars or really anything. So if you can figure out how to invert time and how to revert time, you might be successful in said mission. Star-studded cast, Christopher Nolan, top of his game. 
but was he with Tenet? I guess I'm about to answer that, Jacqueline. Wow. That was Thank a good you. effort. You left you. out so much, which I think I mean, was a good decision on your part. Like, yeah, let we me only just got say, like two hours. So. I mean, seriously. Uh, yeah, because it needs a lot more than that. Um, real quickly, Producer Lucy, how are you doing, ma'am? I am so great. And I, I'm with Mike on this episode. I watched it for the first time last night and I effing loved it. Ooh. Aw, I mean, everyone's entitled to an opinion <laughs> even about this movie. Uh, Mike, yes. welcome back, sir. Thanks I'm really excited me. to have you back. I had so much fun the last time we were here talking about Batman v Superman, and I'm going to leave those good thoughts to bring me through <laughs> what I have a feeling is going to be something that requires me to get an Excedrin at the end of it, because that's kind of what the movie left me with. But <laughs> as you've said... Rotten Tomatoes is wrong, I guess. Uh, but go ahead and, and break it down a little bit more. Uh, why is Rotten Tomatoes wrong on Tenet? I think from the general consensus is there's it, it's too confusing. I think a lot of people, and, and don't get me wrong, when I saw this, this was the first film I saw in COVID where theaters were kind of opening. I had to drive an hour and a half to see it. Uh, and I'm not a guy to normally do kind of things like that. But I, I remember I didn't know much about Tenet going into it. And then I saw that one, tra- uh, they did the prologue in IMAX before COVID way back down. I saw this, I was like, I'm on board. This is like James Bond. So let's let's go. So drive down an hour and a half to see it. You know, I'm all excited. It's like me and my best friend in the theater. And that was it. Because that was back when they could have let like two, three people in a the theater. And that was it. And I remember halfway through the film, I'm looking at him going, I looked over, I was like, three or four times, I have no idea what's going on. It's beautiful. It's cool to look at. And it's awesome. And the dialogue and the characters are great. But I have no concept of what's going on. Then fast forward, you know, six months, it comes out on Blu-ray. I pick it up. I put subtitles on and it's a different experience. Like to, to be able to sit there with subtitles, to pause, rewind, you're like, oh, oh, that's what's going on. So after my f- first viewing at home, I still didn't understand the concept of inverted. I was like, I don't get how that works. Then I had to do a deep dive on the internet and find out, I was like, oh, oh, okay. That's, that, it's not time travel. It's rewinding and it's this and it's that. So, but now that I watch it, the more and more I watch it, the more and more I fall in love with it. I think people watched the first time, couldn't hear half the scenes, didn't understand the inverting. They're like, okay, well, yeah, all right, that's that's rotten. Not nah, moving on. Uh, I I love Nolan in the fact that his films benefit from rewatches. They're not just a one and done. You you get so much more. Every film, even the Batman films, you you go back, you watch them more and more. And I mean, I just watched it again before when I knew I was going to do this. And there's something called the Seder block. I don't know if you know that in the film, the piece of like concrete with like opera and Seder and how they all they're palindromes, but they all mix together and they're all the five different things in the film. I'm like, I didn't even get that a year ago. Like here's <laughs> a year later, I'm still discovering stuff on the film. So I think people need to revisit it at home. And, and uh, yeah. Okay. Uh, Mark, how about you? Where, where is Rotten Tomatoes on this one? Well, Jack, I'm glad you asked because I watched this. I had a I had a, a a false positive with this. I had a stop start with this movie a few months ago when it was first available to watch from the comfort of my home. I put it on and I just wasn't in the right frame of mind. And I'll freely admit it. And I went to bed. I went to bed like 15 minutes in. I'm like, just not for me. I appreciate everything Nolan does. I get excited for his movies. I love him as a filmmaker. And I love how much care he puts into his movies. Just can't do it. Upon rewatching it for this show, 
Rotten Tomatoes is wrong because this movie deserves better than 70%. There is so much in this movie to sink your teeth into. Like Mike said, you can go back and revisit it time and time again. I did not watch it with subtitles. I had a bunch of friends tell me to. It's just not the way I want to watch a movie for the first time. But now I do want to get invested. and I do want to dive down all those internet rabbit holes, some of which I did this morning already. And so I am very excited to talk about this movie because I feel like there's so much to unpack and I think that I give it that above 70% nod simply because the movie itself knows how confusing it is. And even the characters sort of wink and nod with the camera like, we know it, it's not supposed to make sense to you right now. Just go along for the ride. And that's what I did. Okay. Um, yeah, I'm going to be that girl. No, Rotten Tomatoes is wrong because I have more respect for the audience and anything that requires four YouTube videos and a rewatch for me understanding <laughs> it means that you hate your audience. So yeah, it was great. And I am not going to in any way, shape or form dispel the idea that there was brilliant filmmaking that went into making of this film, but it was made with an utter disdain for the people that were watching it that just really irritates me, but is very indicative of Christopher Nolan, who is in love with his movies more than I think he's loved any other person that's bought a ticket for it. That's why he tried to make people go buy tickets for it when they really didn't want to. But that's another conversation for another day. So I will say Rotten Tomatoes is wrong. I think that the score is a bit too high. I would put it in the 60 range if you want to know my personal tomato meter. But I'm in no way going to deny that it is next level filmmaking and it is something that really pushes the envelope of what you can do. However, it just does so with no care to the audience that's watching it. Like you have to bring your audience along. And if you don't put enough craftsmanship in that, you don't care about your audience. Sorry. I, I think okay. I, that's it. And so <laughs> I, I don't, in fact, I think I agree with you guys on like, oh my God, there's so many things to unravel and there was so much great acting, but yeah, that, that, that's my opinion. Um, I know that, that some of my folks uh, on the critical side agreed with me and some of the folks on the audience side agreed with me. Thus the like, less than stellar rating all the way around. But don't take my word for it. Let's go ahead and talk to our lovely review creation manager, Mr. Tim Ryan, for my favorite seg segment, Two Minutes with Tim. Brian, cue the music. Two Minutes with Tim. Depending on who you ask, Tenet is either immersive or incomprehensible. Either you go with it or you're just baffled. Christopher Nolan has made ambitious, mind-bending movies before, including Memento and Inception, and the critics who like this one say it has many of the director's hallmarks. It's ambitious, it's imaginative, it's visually stunning, and it's got a terrific cast. On the other hand, many were put off by its really, really complicated plot, and a lot of them felt it was ultimately less than meets the eye, and that terrific cast were given to play kind of one-dimensional characters. Tenet is at 70% with 353 reviews, and it has a 76% audience score. So what did the critics have to say? In a fresh review, Guy Lodge of Variety wrote, A concrete cornucopia of global chaos and threat in which humanity's survival depends on the minor matter of reshaping time and space, Tenet looks well-suited to an anxious age. However, in a rotten review, Michael Phillips of the Chicago Tribune wrote, I wish Tenet exploited its own ideas more dynamically. No one's a prodigious talent, but no major director, I suppose, can avoid going sideways from time to time. The Rotten Tomatoes critics' consensus reads, a visually dazzling puzzle for film lovers to unlock, Tenet serves up all the cerebral spectacle audiences expect from a Christopher Nolan production. 
So that's Tenet. I hope when you guys are discussing this movie, you don't lose the plot. Back to you, folks. <laughs> Wouldn't be hard, Tim. Wouldn't be hard. This is, uh, this is a map with no destination. But, okay, there's so much <laughs> to discuss with uh, this movie. There's still questions. Like I said, I watched it, and I watched three YouTube explainer videos afterwards and read, like, four articles, and I still feel very much like, I get it, but I'm still just like, why? <laughs> but, hey, you know what? It's Christopher Nolan, and that's what he does, so we're just going to break it down here. Brian, let's go ahead and do some movie talk. Okay, so first of all, I mean, in case you didn't know, spoiler alert, but also like dissection alerts. We're going to have to like break down so many different things. And some of the scenes, it's like, well, which version of the scene are we talking about? Are we talking about it from this person's (laughs) timeline or that person's timeline from this person's perspective? Is it the time that we did it forward or the time that we did it backwards? But Mike, um, let's go ahead and start with you. What are some of your favorite bewildering, mind-numbing, confusing, exhilarating scenes that you liked? Uh, Well, one, I guess early on is is the breaking into the vault uh, with the whole airplane and they get the hydrogen in the room and they lose their breath. And and that whole, the whole way that that he crafts a sequence like that is, is, I loved, I love that. I love the use of sound in that. I love the fact that they crash an actual airplane. Like I, I love his his behind the scenes on his Blu-rays are so good because he's such a, a filmmaker that was even though he pushes the envelope of filmmaking he loves practical effects he did that on almost all of his films so to see him crash a giant plane like that I love but for me the scene that really stuck out was the scene where they go to meet the arms dealer Priya and they think first of all you know they do this whole great climbing into the building they're being slingshotted into the building and then you know standard spy films we always notice the hero's got to go and talk to this arms dealer and he thinks it's the guy and it's the woman. And he does a great reverse. And she's such a great actress in the scenes with them, uh, you know, and the, 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 how he flips the dynamic of the man-female relationship in a film. This is your operation. Masculine front in a man's world has his chooses. The dealer you're looking for is Andre Seto. The Russian oligarch. You know him? Not personally. Made his billions in gas. I love that. I love the way that to get out of the uh, out of it, they just got to jump off the building and to see the behind the scenes, knowing that John David Washington, he was like, I'm going to jump off this building right here with just this rope attached to me. So, again, the multiple rewatches for me just add so much to that scene. It's such a simple scene and the grand scheme of this film with people going backwards and this and that. Uh, So that simple scenes for me. And that was the one where the film finally slowed down enough where I was like, okay, now I can kind of see what this is. And it's that's where it started to click a little more for me as far as what the plot is, what they're going for. I guess the MacGuffin, if you'll call it the um, the the device, the algorithm that they have to get to. That's where it's kind of first explained. We still don't know the full world of it, uh, but for me, that that was probably my favorite scene. That's the one that I, I always sticks with me out of that's such all a the great kind call. of craziness. Yeah, because you're so right that that is where the movie slows down enough to let you at least catch your breath. Because watching this movie, the first 20 minutes where we have this amazing looking opening scene at this opera, we don't know what's going on. There's a heist of some sort. Everybody's uh, gassed asleep. And then there's a big explosion. And John David Washington's character barely survives whatever it is. And he wakes up and he's on a boat. And we're like, what the hell is going on? (laughs) It's a lot like your first session with a personal trainer where you're just like so out of breath within 10 minutes. You're like, "I, I need a water break and that was the water break and also mike you might be with me on this 
I want to try that slingshot thing so bad. I want to. I'll awesome. give you Kidding that. Me? I will give yeah, you that. that the slingshot it, it thing like, looked cool. I want that to be my my day on the show Wipeout. I, like that, that that is what I want to attempt, and I love the Christopher Nolan movies give me that because that reminded me of the Dark Knight scene where they're breaking into the the big Hong Kong building. Yeah. But my my favorite scene that one's up there, Jacqueline. It's the first time that we see the time inversion in a fight sequence where mm. you don't even even realize it's happening till halfway through. You have that epic hallway battle where it's like, oh yeah, they're going back in time, not forward in time. And you just watch it and you're so amazed with your eyeballs, but you also, your head hurts because you're thinking about how hard it must have been for these actors <laughs> to do the reverse fighting, but they pull it off so magnificently. That might be the moment. If Mike's moment is where the movie slows down and you can sort of catch your breath, that was the moment where I said, you know what? I no longer need to know everything about this movie. I don't need to know how a flux capacitor works. I don't want I don't need to know how these gigawatts make time it become inverted. All I need to do is go along on this very fun surface level spy movie and occasionally I'll get deep with some of this stuff and if that's what it looks like, I'm on board for the ride. So that's what really got its claws into me for the first time. You know, Mark, you say it, it was great too because I, I was watching that. I'm like, oh, how, how do they do this? And I just thought, well, they just reversed the film. But then seeing behind the scenes, they f did the fight like four different ways. Like, yeah. Because John David Washington is fighting himself, so he had to flip roles, learn the fight, the two ways going forward and the two ways going backwards, and they did it in reverse. So that's incredible to me to watch yeah. the performers do that. Go, go! Why are you here? Who are you? How'd you know we'd be here? Yeah, I haven't seen the behind the scenes footage. Again, this this movie needs its own movie for <laughs> for enjoyment purposes. But hey, listen, I will say this. Uh, I think the what encompasses my feelings about Tenant um, really actually started from the beginning because I'm actually a pretty I'd say I'm a pretty good fan of Christopher Nolan. I don't put him with the godlike reverence that a lot of people in the film community do, but I, I enjoy him as a filmmaker. Um, find him a little bit to be, to be, you know, maybe he reads his own press a bit when it comes to his filmmaking. And I feel like this film is sort of a testament to that because the one of the best openings I've ever seen in the history of filmmaking, in my personal opinion, is the opening of The Dark Knight. That is just such incredible filmmaking. Um, and one of the best secretive expositional scenes I've ever seen is from The Prestige when Michael Caine explains what magic is. You know, it's the it's the trick, it's the turn, and then it's the prestige and all that. Anyway, this movie, in those particular elements, which played out in two separate scenes, but also in one in the opening, in two separate moments, but all throughout the opening, he was doing the same thing in both. And at the end of it, instead of being marveled, I was so angry to a certain respect and lost that I lost the beauty of the cinema that he created. It's like he created this beautiful picture and he put it behind a puzzle box that 
that takes you four attempts to solve. And the frustration of solving it honestly makes me not enjoy the picture once I got there. If he would have just removed a few layers, I think I would have enjoyed it much more. And the opening was part of that because the opening had that inversion. You were just literally thrown into this world. You don't know what's going on, but bullets are going backwards. And that dude just saved your life, but you don't know who that is. And people are changing and you're trying to throw bombs up here and there's a second tactical team. And I was okay with all of that. If at the end of it, I felt like it was setting the stage for what the movie was going to be. You know, those moments like like it did with The Dark Knight where you're just like, that's, you know, I'm the Joker. Like you're like, oh, this is the villain and this is how smart he is. And like, I'm in for the ride. And with The Prestige, you're like, this guy's telling me a trick, but like this later is going to prove to be the best bit of exposition. All of that's supposed to be in that opening and you get none of it because it takes you the third time of seeing it before you're even able to grasp that that's what it was. And it doesn't mean that I didn't get it. It doesn't mean I didn't like it when I did get it. I just feel, and forgive me if I'm saying this wrong, comedy person, Mike, but I think it's a hat on a hat. I've heard Seth Meyers talk about this. It's like there's a joke underneath a joke. And if you just would take the joke off, like it's gonna be funny to all of the comedians in the room but nobody in the audience is going to get it because it's a hat on a hat. And a tenet, little bit like that. Yeah. Tenant is a hat on a hat. It's funny. It's brilliant. But come on, kid. It's a hat Duh. on a hat on a hat on a hat on another hat. Thank you. And I don't need that. And so that's why I'm like, brilliant. Bully for you. But I don't think you should. I don't think you should do that to your audience. You know who this is going to. You want a billion dollar movie? People aren't that bright. The comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car-selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch. Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. That's the big question with, with, with this movie, Mike, is that is this movie the the super snooty professor at some Ivy League reunion that is just talking mathematical equations and is refusing to dumb it down for their audience who wants to listen, who's a fan, but just simply doesn't understand it, or does it do it just enough? Or do we need to be dumbed down? Like, like that's the big question. Because in terms of stand-up, this movie would not work if this was a stand-up comedy bit because you you have to take you have to lead the audience with you. And this one just refuses to do that. It makes the audience catch up. But I think it's just that I'm having so much fun along the way, but also the performances. Like every time I felt like I was confused, I met a new character that I was so locked into, whether it's Elizabeth Debicki or it's it's Kenneth Branagh or it's Robert Pattinson. Kenneth Branagh as, as the villain in this was so good. <laughs> I didn't necessarily know what he was talking about. There was a scene 
towards the end of the movie where he's sitting down with John David Washington's character on on their boat and they're sort of talking back and forth and he's just so locked in. You can just see how menacing and evil but intelligent he is and it's just such a good performance. I didn't care that I didn't understand some of what they were saying. Yeah, I, I'm of the same way. Like again, I don't, uh, I don't worship at the altar of, of Nolan like a lot of people do. I, I like his films. Uh, Batman Begins probably one of my favorite films of all time, if not yes, my favorite film. Uh, mm. I find The Dark Knight to be a great film, but not a great Batman film. So I'm not. Mm. Everything he does is not golden to me. But I've people always say I, they would want him to do a James Bond film, and James Bond has influenced so much of his filmmaking. I mean, Inception is. On His Majesty's on Her Majesty's Secret Service at the end there, like so. This was his James Bond film, and and to kind of go in with that, you know, you have the overarching uh, world domination plot, and you've got the the villain and his layer, and all the tenants, of, if you will, of James Bond are in this film. So I mean, Sater, like the one scene he comes down and meets him, and he sees him talk to his wife, and he comes up and like, "How would you like to die?" Like <laughs> that's brilliant. Are you kidding me? Like he's like, and then but then you see. He's that villain that you love those villains because he kind of warms up to him and he becomes charming and you're just like, but he's, he's a terrible individual. He's awful. Holding his, uh, his uh, wife's do- uh, was his son over him over mm-hmm. for the whole film and like, that was the reason because if you can't, if I can't have you, no one's going to have you. Like he's trying to own her and just to know all of that about him. But, and again, like it, it is, it's, it's tough because I hate to use the term spoon feeding. Like, He's known for none of his films do that, and and I don't know if, you know, you go into certain filmmakers' films and you expect certain things. When I go to an Abrams film, I want to see some lens flares. I gotta see him. If I don't see him, I'm upset. <laughs> Nolan, I'm gonna go in, and I know I'm not gonna hear a lot of stuff. Like that scene on the boat, I had zero clue what's going on. I don't know what's going on with the dialogue, and it's a choice he makes. It's a choice. He's a filmmaker that's kind of earned the right to do that. Um, so I, I, I do see both sides of the argument with his filmmaking and like, man, if you want the audience to be along for the ride, you got to make them be able to go along for the ride with you. Just a you little know? bit. I'm not I, saying. I get it. I get that. So Wait I can't minute. defend that. Yeah. Wait, I will say this. It does not mean you can't like like add these layers and, and blend the plot and do things that are that are interesting. What's what's very interesting is that um, Chris McQuarrie, who is the real reason why mm. The Usual Suspects is a good movie. Sorry, Brian Singer. And has used <laughs> that element of burying what he's doing throughout his story. Like Kaiser Soze was the biggest reveal ever. But throughout the Mission Impossible series that he's been a part of, he adds those elements in there. You can do both. Mm-hmm. You can do both. And I and I wondered about this thinking about like why this movie was able to be shot the way that it was shot. And it's to your point, it's because Christopher Nolan's earned the right to kind of do what he wants. Yeah. Um, and I don't think that is always a good thing for anyone. We all need editors. We all need people. If I need my girlfriend to check me and be like, sis, that outfit you thought was so cute was not. Somebody needs to go to Nolan and say this brilliant idea that you have thought out and and pulled 80 million different ways may seem revolutionary to you, but it is confusing to most. And tell him that because I don't think I don't think he could have lost the brilliance of it in that. Like, not everybody liked the end of of except of Inception, but at yeah. least I could follow it through. I could understand what this movie was trying to achieve, and there are plot holes aplenty. I'm not saying you have to make everything make sense on a quantum level, but you just have to again have enough respect for your audience to say. And I know they had to have test audiences that said this. 
I have no idea what happened. And he like reads that and is like, yeah, well, stupid. Bye. I think it's it, it, it's yeah. such a mix of audiences that I think want to, that are fans of Nolan, like I include myself among them, where you want to give him the benefit of the doubt. So if it's if it's anybody telling you, hey, this is the movie and this is what it is, you're like, okay. But if it's Christopher Nolan, you just, it, it's almost like like when a when someone really smart says some, says some big word, and you don't understand what the word is, but you but you just go along with it because, uh, well, they pulled it off, and so I believe it. It's like Dennis Miller in the 90s had an HBO show, and he would tell <laughs> these jokes with these insane references that nobody got, but it's delivered so well that you just, okay, I guess I'm going to laugh at this. And so I think part of it is that. But the spoon-feeding thing is interesting because... I, I think that I like this movie more because I've had so many other time travel movies in my life that have done it in different ways, where it's so self-explanatory in something like Bill and Ted or a fun adventure like Back to the Future. Those are movies that you have such a good time watching that you don't really care about all the plot holes when you really think about what they're doing to time travel. And then you have other movies like Primer or even like The Butterfly Effect to some degree where you think, oh, this is really making me think about what if time travel was real? How would it actually look? Could it happen? And so what I will give you, Jacqueline, is that I don't know that this movie, even with Nolan and all of his creative genius, actually settled on what they wanted this movie to be on how, because there's some scenes where it feels like they really do want the audience to, to be in on it. Then there's other scenes where, again, the characters might as well look at the camera and say, hey, don't worry about understanding it. Just go along for the ride. Yeah. And and hey, look, I I don't want to take anything away from it. I think there's a scene and I will say scenes because it's freaking four different ways. But the scene on the boat <laughs> with Elizabeth Debicki, who I think of anyone I wish would have had more dimensionality to her character in this one. Um, it's her. Um, and I think she was absolutely serving so much through this story. And, and, and I just wish she had more to do than be beaten, scared and trying to protect her son. I just wish there was more to it, even though she obviously clearly had a hero moment at the end. Uh, but the boat scene and and both aspects of where she is in the boat scene versus for the first one when she's leaving with her son feeling completely defeated and a manip manipulated and feeling like she's never going to escape this machinations. And she sees the woman dive off the boat with this level of just like carefreeness and, you know, and has that like longing look towards her versus on the other side <laughs> when she shoots the hell out of Kenneth Branagh and she has taken that freedom. <laughs> and even though she is diving into that water with a level of freedom, you can honestly see on the other side of it, she realizes there was a cost to this too. Look in my eyes. What you see? Despair. Or anger. I'm not the woman who could find love for you even though you scarred her on the inside. I'm the vengeful bitch you scarred on the outside. And I personally, I, I felt like that scene was indicative of the... I guess it, if I would say the things that I didn't get to see in this one, but I wish I did, um, I would say that 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 was probably it. And again, I'm not going to I'm not going to like dissect like it was a total loss from that one. But I really still love that scene, even though I do think it could have been more. Spend a little bit more time on that, Nolan, instead of the five way <laughs> little Roman thing. 
Do you recommend this movie to people though, Mike? Because I, I like when I watch movies like this, I think about we just had Father's Day, so I think about how I would explain this to my dad, or or how long my dad could have sat in a theater watching this. Because my dad loved the idea of the Jason Bourne movies, but he just could not get past like all the close quarter shaky cam moments. He just couldn't do it, and so I feel like with this, he would just throw his hands up and leave. And so th this isn't as easy as saying, "Oh, you got to go see the new Mission Impossible movie. You got to go see the new James Bond movie. It's so much fun." You really have to know who you're talking to and give them a level, at least, of caution before they walk into this. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I, I don't think I have recommended it to anyone. Uh, <laughs> but it's, it's kind of like You're a good me, friend. You're yeah, a good there, friend. there's films, and that doesn't mean that I don't love it. Like, there's films like, like um, Terry Gilliam. I don't think I've ever going to watch one of his films. They're just not for me. I see all the stuff from his films, and I'm like, that ain't for me. I'll never see it, but people love him and they're well, re well reviewed and people love his style and who he is. But so for me, Tenet, like, I don't know if I'd go like, man, you love Mission Impossible and James Bond, you're going to love Tenet. I'm like, it's, it's, I have a weird love hate relationship with this movie because I do love it so much, but I also don't think I can recommend it to people because I know it's a, if there's someone in my life that I know would, I don't know, I don't even, I don't even want to say appreciate it. it it's, because it's a you mixed know, bag. It's such a it's yeah, such a it polarizing film because it's either I mean, and I would say that I think all of us are actually on the more um I would say muted reactions to it because even though I'm giving it the business here, I am in no way <laughs> blind. Like this is just incomparable next level filmmaking. Like just yeah. the idea of like the storyboarding that had to be done to plot Oof. out this plot yeah. <laughs> is probably more complicated than than, a, and than Academy Award winning filmmakers that we know and love are capable of. And they would have to think on this movie for a decade just to give it a passable effort to what Christopher Nolan was able to do in just a handful of years. So I, I don't want to diminish that, but I also can't sit here and pretend that again, it's a puzzle box. And I'm not exactly sure if underneath it, once you line everything up, and it's almost like you took a basic, really basic story with pretty basic characters and you just jumbled it up in enough mix to where you could give it more complexity. Because I've heard a lot of people say that this is a stupid smart person movie. That's hilarious. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, because one of the things that I did feel occasionally watching this movie is I felt like the, the little kid at Christmas who opens something and is so young that you don't really understand the actual toy you got, but you like playing with the big box and... <laughs> the big box in this movie is the performances for me because everybody is just so good as their character. And, and that's what I said that kept stringing me along. And so when I'm asking myself questions about, wait a minute, so who is, is, is John David though? Washington's character actually work? Yeah. Because then Robert Pattinson shows up and he's great. And Elizabeth Debicki shows up and all these, all these great performers are, they just it, I, it, that was one of the selling points of this movie to me. If they didn't fully commit to what they were doing and it and and at times a lot of them are bewildered by the science of it. And so at least even though I didn't understand most of the science, I could at least relate to some of the characters because I knew they didn't understand what was going on either. They just had to go along for the ride and sort of put their faith in whatever this time inversion process was. Can I just ask this, though? First time Christopher Nolan has a non-white British guy in the lead, not really, but close. And he makes him literally the most uninteresting character until the See, last frame of the I, film. Just gonna say that, he was not, look, 
again, he's not the interesting. Line, the hot sauce line was great. He I didn't disagree. think of that. That was not Christopher Nolan. Let me just put it this way. Robert Pattinson throughout the movie, you're like, okay, I don't know what's going on with this guy. He's got a little bit more going on. And give it up for Kenneth Branagh. He has given you Boris and Natasha realness. Like, give Back it up. Back and forth. You know Backwards what I mean? Russian. Yeah, exactly. Like, that's fine. But John David Washington feels like a guy that is luggage in his own story where he is called what? the protagonist. And until the end where you realize he's not the luggage, that he's actually the conveyor belt that's put all this stuff together. But again, you don't get that until the last shot of the movie when he kills the Indian lady. See, like, I I, I disagree because for me with John David Washington, like, I knew he was in Black Klansman, but he didn't stand out in that. There were so many more, like, more people's chewing scenery and, and bigger personalities in that film where he kind of took a, not, that didn't take a back seat, but he was kind of more of the straight guy through it. This film, to me, I watch that as like, this guy's a movie star. This guy, he just, there's this charisma about him that he exudes because it was so subtle. He was so subtle and laid back in the way he he was in the, every scene. And, and just seeing him next to Elizabeth Debeck, I know she's very tall, but he seems very short too. But like that throughout the film, he just had this big presence the whole time. And at the end of it, like, that was like, I want to see this character again. I want to see more adventures with the protagonist, with this guy, because this was the film I had seen uh, him before and other stuff, but this is the film is like, okay, I really like him as an actor. Uh, but I, I, again, like, I guess thinking back to the film uh, in that one scene with Barbara, it was a uh, Clemens Posey who was, it, it was kind of funny. He's like, oh, that's Fleur Delacour from the Harry Potter films. She shows up and she's like, hey, don't understand it. Just go along with it. She even, yeah. like, they wrote that in there. They're just like, just go along. You're not going to understand it. Just go with it. And I'm like, okay. That was that was a line from the studio that they're like, look, test audiences <laughs> are pissed. Ask. Yeah, Can we just Nolan? get somebody to say this in the movie? Because we need to. Because people are pissed off. Can we also bring up, speaking of lines, Jacqueline, producer Lucy here. Um, it, when, back to John David Washington, when he goes, mission accomplished at the end, I was like, oh, that's. That's the one cringy moment for me. <laughs> I mean, I'm glad you made it that it a, far. Yeah. Also, I will Ooh. say, um, what's her name's hair game? The Indian lady. Uh, I was like all about the 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 gray realness, like like salt and pepper thing she had going. I was like, I just want your outfits and your hairstyle and like everything. The costumes across yeah. the board in this. Only I, thing I knew about the movie before I watched it was that there was fashion, and we brought I, the fashion. Oh, it's so good. I, you... I, every suit that he's wearing, I'm like, yeah, I, I want to try that on. Like, I, I want to look that good. And even the scene where he meets Michael Caine, because it's Christopher Nolan, you know you're going to get a great Michael Caine scene. He walks <laughs> in, and, and I'm, I'm thinking in my head, like, how good JDW looks in this suit. And then Michael Caine is like, that Brooks Brothers. And I'm like, oh, I, I thought it looked nice. I thought you looked fine. There's nicer suits than Brooks Brothers? What? <sighs> I, I, I'm not going to lie to you. He looks, uh, yeah, he looks good. He looks good in everything that he does in that. Mm -hmm. e. John David Washington looks good. DeBecky was made to model clothes in her DNA. <laughs> um, but even like the side characters, Kane shows up, tailored, tailored. Yep. Yep. One thing I don't understand with the clothes, and maybe you guys can understand this, I don't get his look with the polo shirt with the button all the way to the top. I don't get that. Like, I've look, never gotten that in life. I'm like, what is that choice? Mike, you're a very, very stylish dude, mostly with capes. Somebody needs to gift you some GQ, sir. Yeah, but I've worn polos. I don't wear them buttoned to the top like that. You need to it's read weird. this. In, it's, a, it, it's, in, it's in the fashion now. So. Michael Kane says, you got to wear the polo shirt or the button all the way to the top. 
and that way they'll know that you're a true rich man. It's it's what they uh, actually I've learned this because by the way Bravo. I was the girl that wore my uniform from age twelve to age thirty five was black jeans, nerd shirt, black sweater. That mm. was it, and that That's your was outfit. all I had. And then I got this damn job, and they introduced <laughs> me to people. They introduced me to the S word stylist and that's what the, the button you know what it is it's called zhuzhing it's the little touches zhuzhing yeah that's what i did yeah that's what that's what nikki taught me that yes thank you shout out to our mutual uh rt stylist nikki who like gets us set up when we go to like events and shows it, like obviously when you roll your sleeves up oh, ask yeah. nikki about zhuzhing the top button on a no polo it is shirt. and that's what it is and, <laughs> and it's the little details that can show somebody that this outfit was thoughtful, whether it be an added accessory or like the way that you wear the shirt. It's literally stupid stuff like that. I did not think we were gonna go into a whole, um, <laughs> Tennis making us go down the runway, rabbit holes. It's, see, runway It's a layer upon a layer, this film. What was the name of uh, Project Runway? We, I didn't know we were going to have a Project Runway sort of detour. <laughs> but um, let's bring it back to the to the moments at hand. And one thing I will talk about, I think we've talked about the characters. I, I don't think anybody didn't give it their all. I would just also say, I do think that John David Washington was the least interesting person in this whole movie until the end. And I will stand by that. I think, yeah, I I think two hours and 20 minutes of the movie, you might have a point. But every so often he does have some some comedic moment or some persona charisma moment that that gets me through. It's just enough catnip to get me to the next scene because he is focused on the mission. But there is a personality there. And and I like that it was hidden below the surface. And I will also add the most least the, the, the least interesting person in a Christopher Nolan movie uh, still has more style, substance and stuff going on than most movies put together. Um, <laughs> this is kind of like more like like not so much movie specific talk, but some other stuff. But the the thing that always gets talked about and we've already alluded to it a little bit is Christopher Nolan and his sound choices, as it were, and like where and what he chooses to do with all that. I guess because I was at home and I was watching it with headphones. Um, you can't mess with me. I had captioning. I watched it with headphones. But I do feel for people that had to see this in a movie theater. I, I don't. Yeah, Mike can speak yeah. to that better than I can because I didn't see this in a theater and I, I I didn't even notice any issues with the sound watching it on on my TV. I mean, I have a nice like sound system, but I wasn't wearing headphones. Did not have the subtitles on, and I I was still pretty good. I never really picked up on any sound issues. Yeah, I, I, Nolan, again, he is so much of a proponent of all his films when he goes to like making sure the theaters have the right sound settings. And I remember before this film came out and before COVID happened, it's kind of like, I think it was January, February last year, I was walking into Universal Studios to go to work and I saw Nolan coming out of the AMC IMAX because that's like the only true IMAX in Burbank. And I saw him, he had his kind of little entourage with him. And I'm sure he was there probably either seeing a cut of it or checking the sound or whatever because he's so much involved in that. I mean, it speaks to him as a filmmaker where every detail of a film, the attention to detail that he puts into it, like we saw we talked about costumes, like every little level, he doesn't skimp on it, doesn't go, well, you know, that's just sound or that's just a costume design. Everyone, everything gets the equal focus that the acting and the story does. But there are scenes like the boat scene I mentioned where it's just like that was the time I leaned over to my buddy. I'm like, I don't know what's going on. What is he saying here? Mm. Like, I got the whole Bane thing and I got what what that was coming from. You know, there was a reason story behind it. But this film and I don't know that why. I mean, the whole car chase backwards, accidents crash. I understood everything then. And you would think 
because the sound of everything they would want to jumble if he wanted to create kind of a real world whatever but that boat scene I didn't had no clue what's going on until I watched it with close Foley caption. is more important to him. Like he's somebody who actually probably is best friends with this Foley artist. <laughs> he's probably- and he, you know what I mean? Like he wants that dude to shine. I think it's funny that you mentioned you saw um, Nolan at the AMC. I don't know if this was this case, but when they were making the case, when Tenet hint theaters in the United States and they were like, you were, it's only going to be here and blah, 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 blah. Um, he actually did buy a ticket to go see it and he wanted to like show people. But I don't know if that was when you saw him, but I do remember he made a big deal of like, they filmed it actually of him being at the theater, uh, going to see it in IMAX. And like, it was him and the president of AMC and like a head person from Warner Brothers, like doing this as a thing. But that was what he did with the execs. Right. I heard his story and this was, published so i'm not like talking tales out of school but edgar wright talked about the reason why he was able to get mary elizabeth winstead for scott pilgrim is that when grindhouse came out quentin tarantino was doing a q a at the arcolite and he was meeting edgar for that one and mary elizabeth winstead was there and he made them all drive around to the various movie theaters because he's like yeah but i want to see what the crowd at the vista um, is like when they watch it. And then I want to go see the crowd at this theater to see how they react to it. Because for Quentin, it was all about in the theater, what were these people feeling? And he knew that there was a different audience that was going to be seeing it at the Vista versus the Arcolite versus oh, the sure. Landmark. And Nolan only cares about the sound at the IMAX in Dolby. <laughs> <laughs> Two types of filmmakers. That's all I will say. Not saying either one of them don't have this, don't have egos the size of Texas, but what they care about may be different. I don't know. But I, I'm not saying Quentin doesn't care about the sound, but it feels like the sound is Nolan's best best friend. That's me, Mark. That's fair. I I mean I, I again I, I didn't pick up any any issues with it on my end, but I do know how much Carrie puts into every every facet of his movie, which is why even though again I wouldn't consider myself worshiping at his altar, I think these are sort of movies that I that I do feel like are events because it's not just the filmmaking itself, but it's the rollout. It's how he he crafts his trailers, how he has oversight over all these things leading up to the movie where you do feel like it's a big event. So even if the movie doesn't wow me the first time I see it, like Interstellar, like when I tried to watch Tenet for the first time, I, I, it's, I, I at least give it the the credibility that maybe it was on me and not on the movie that I need to go back and do some revisiting and investigation. So I'm glad we did this episode because it got me to actually sit down and watch Tenet and... I found it a rewarding experience. Do you guys feel that with Tenant, because of uh, uh, Nolan, the films that we, we came to expect, like Memento, and then, because uh, I, I remember when Inception was coming out and there was so much hype for this film because you go in, and I guess it's kind of what M. Night Shyamalan used to have with the twist and turn you, you're like, I'm going to be wowed by this guy. Like Dunkirk for me didn't have this with Nolan. Like I didn't feel everyone was like, I got to see Dunkirk. That seemed like his most kind of straightforward film that he's done in a while. Whereas, this phone comes out and everyone's like, oh, it's ba- it's old school Nolan again. It's, it's the Inception Nolan. It's the prestige Nolan. And then there wasn't, Jack, like you it said. It was the least the, puzzly. The re- yeah. Yeah. There wasn't the reveal, that, that, like you'd said, like, that, like, ah, that was it. Like, the other right. films have had a much cleaner reveal and a much cleaner, yeah. like, like, prestige, you see, like, that's it. We get it. Yeah. The, the I, turn happens. You're like, I get it. With, it, it, with Tenet, you're kind of like, a year later, you're like, did I get the turn or am I unwrapping another? Is it like the little Russian doll where you open it like, oh, there's another one and there's another. What am I doing? 
so and then maybe this is and then a it's just a little Kenneth Branagh. Just, yeah, it's just it's like, how would you like to Surprise! Die? Uh, yeah, what is it? Um, Savuskas. I'm yeah. probably y'all are gonna have yep. to like uh, bleep that in Russian because I told I stole that from Katya and RuPaul's Drag Race and my streak for adding Drag Race to this podcast well continues. <laughs> anyway, listen, I will add this. Because this was a two and a half hour movie. And so I do not in any way saying that we should have made this longer. But do y'all think this would have been better as an episodic? Mm, it's hmm. tough to get me to come back week after week if I don't understand something that much. Oh, lost ratings belies that, Mark. <laughs> That's a good point, though, because it, it because Lost was really good at the cliffhangers. Uh, like, And you're like, oh, now I got to come back. I got to see what's in the hatch. Or I got to see what the polar bears or the smoke monsters about this. I, I probably would, but I, I don't know. You know me, Jacqueline. I get very excited about a TV show for three weeks, and then I just completely fall off the face of the earth with it. So I don't know that I would have hung in with Tenet the whole time. I think I like this as a motion picture. Hey, and I will let you have the last word on that uh, because we got to move on to trivia because, again, we literally did. Again, this movie, I will give it this. You can talk a lot about it. We can talk <laughs> a lot about it. But... Let's go ahead and take it to behind the scenes. All right, Brian, cue us up. Mark, sir, what do you got for us? And I am perfectly comfortable with the fact that I'm likely going to lose. So let's just get this over with. Yeah, I mean, you got no slouch as far as trivia goes <laughs> next to you there. But we're oh, going to go a little light on on the, the, the Nolan Batman movies, um, simply because I know as much as Mike probably wants to revisit Tenet again and again, he's never going to see these movies as much as he studies the, the Batman yeah. movies. So, um, your first trivia question is for both of you. Why is The Dark Knight Rises so bad? No, I'm kidding. It's a joke. <laughs> um, I'm like, do not open this up again. Just, that was do me. That was just me. My, my personal issues. I apologize to our audience. So here is your very first trivia question. And that is, I need you to just, uh, both y'all to just guess and whoever gets closest wins as far as Christopher Nolan's average tomato meter score for Ooh. all of his films. Take all Christopher Nolan's movies. What is his average tomato meter score? 88. Oh, is Jacqueline's guess and Mike Kalinowski. I was going to my gut right off the bat was 87. All right. You one dollared her and it's going to pay dividends because the answer is 84 percent. Oh, hey, I'm I watched okay a lot of that. prices. Right. Uh, <laughs> hey, hey, we both would have been over, but I guess you're still closest. And then we got two more questions. Can you answer this one? What is his highest rated movie on the tomato meter? His highest rated movie? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I'm just going to say my favorite, and it's not going to be that one. But I'm going to go ahead and say The Prestige. That's and me. Mike? Uh, I'll say The Dark Knight. All right. I am with Mike because I do think Batman Begins is the best of those movies. Might be my favorite comic book movie ever. Yes, sir. It is The Dark Knight. Yeah. It is the highest on the tomato meter. But The Prestige is super fresh. It's certified fresh as well. And it's also really awesome. So I will give you that, Jacqueline. The final. Actually, I do have one more that, that it's just going to be fun to mess with you all. So... Okay, I'm going to give you all each 10 seconds or less, and you have to explain time inversion to me. And ten done. <laughs> okay, Mike, can, 10 seconds or less, 10 seconds on the clock, explain me time inversion, go. It's the object is hit with the radiation and is then doing its life backwards. That's not bad. That is but not I don't bad. know where the radiation comes from. <laughs> I don't know. I know a scientist created radiation that irradiates Stop. an object and See, makes it go backwards. Stop. See, this is where it, no, and don't do it. And then they built the algorithm 
which was a device that was going to make uh, the entire world go backwards, essentially killing itself. I've all. used the word algorithm before in, in everyday talk, but every time somebody says it to me, I go right back to calculus and my, my eyes just roll in the back of my head well, and all feeling glazes over my body. I always thought, I don't know why, I was always calling it an, a logarithm. A logarithm? Oh, no, yeah. I don't know why I call yeah. it that. I have to consciously go algorithm. Mm -hmm. I have to do that with pro with probably I because I was <laughs> because I had trouble spelling when I was a kid. I used to say probably, and so sometimes I will say probably because that's how I learned how to spell it. Yeah, um, well, I don't have to worry as an it. adult. Yeah, yeah, because you can just say uh, umroth logga, and that is the time inverted way to say algorithm. Okay, yeah. your final question. And this is one that maybe you know it or you don't. Mike might have a leg up because he is such a huge James Bond honk. Oh, no. This, like we said, is sort of Christopher Nolan paying homage in a way to a lot of movies, but particularly the world of James Bond. What was the first James Bond film that Christopher Nolan saw in a movie theater? Moonraker, just because I have mm. nothing. My gut is saying under Her Majesty's Secret Service. All right, the answer... The Spy Who Loved oh, Me. Oh, very first great yes by both better. of you. One of you went Lazenby, one of you went more, yeah. but the answer was The Spy <laughs> Who Loved Me. And that is your Christopher Nolan slash Tenet trivia questions. And man, did I go easy on y'all because given the subject matter of this movie, I could ask y'all stuff that I didn't have the answer to. And honestly, I would have been very fine with it because, again, it hurts my head as far as we go. And I need a little bit of an aspirin. So we're going to go ahead and go to the mailbag, which is going to give it to me. Brian, cue the music. All right, here we go from a member of the Ketchup Crew, Grace Aslan. Sorry, Grace, if I got that wrong, but your name is awesome. So hello, like my the name lion. I like know. Aslan the Lion. Aslan. Okay, Aslan the Lion. I like that. All That's right. how I'm saying it, yeah. I, I'm going to think you're probably right. Hello, my name is Grace. I would love it if you guys... Oh, sorry. I would love it for you guys to discuss Wayne's World. I yes. believe it deserves a way higher than a meager 78%, as it is one of my favorite movies of all time. I would love to hear your discussion on the jokes, whether it is held up through the years. Thanks for reading this, and I look forward to your next episode. Grace, I think you may be in luck, man. Also... I'm a fan of the sequel. Like I've been known Thank for this. You. I've been known for this to be a fan of the sequel. And again, we will, I still am waiting on our Mortal Kombat Annihilation episode. Oof. <laughs> because I know I'm like one of one, I know one other person who enjoys it. You enjoy uh, that movie? I really do. But I enjoy Oof. it the way you enjoy the room. Yeah. Like, well, I do not enjoy it. Like, and okay. now okay. you lose. I'm okay. sorry. When she says that, I am done. Melina? I'll go back and watch it with, with those kind of glasses, with the room colored glasses on. But as far I as can't Wayne's even do that with goes, that with that film. I mean, I am, there I'm totally is... in with, with, with Grace's pick. But yes, I would like to have a companion piece for Wayne's World 2 because I think yes. there's maybe three comedies in my estimation. Beverly Hills Cop 2 is more of an action comedy. Three comedies that have superseded the original and that would be uh beverly hills cop 2 naked gun two and a half and wayne's world 2 it is almost impossible to make the comedy sequel funnier than the original i think those all managed to pull it off but the original wayne's world is uh is definitely fresh grace i'm with you i'm also a pretty big fan of bad boys too mostly for the scene when they meet mark lawrence's uh daughter's boyfriend that is yes. that is gold right there and dan marino's great in that movie <laughs> 
ridiculous. All right, um, Mike, thank yes. you so much. This was a blast yet again. I appreciate you for being such a good sport uh, with my deadpan not liking of this one. But <laughs> you actually, you warmed me up a little bit more. I will say that. So um, as a parting gift, why don't you tell folks what you're working on and where they can find you? Uh, you can find me uh, at Twitter and on my YouTube channel at Mike Kalinowski. I have a uh, a book that I'm working on. I can't say it yet. I'm still kind of under not an NDA on it, but it's not ready to be announced yet. But it's a book Ooh. releasing this fall that I've been working on. I got it. It happened during quarantine um, with a publisher and, and uh, I've been working on that. So hopefully I'll have more to tell soon. So I will absolutely put that out there on my uh, Facebook, on my Instagram page, my Twitter uh, at Mike Kalinowski. So that's what I'm working on right now. I host DC Movie News. We've been on hiatus ever since quarantine because we filmed in studio and we never really got up to the Zoom thing. We kind of do random things when a big movie premieres, but we're really trying to work to get that podcast back up and running uh, for everybody. So, Is it going to be easier for me to watch Tenet and understand it or to read your book? Read my book. My book okay, is going to, yeah. He's literate. Come on now, Mark. Let's give the man some. <laughs> I'm just some... making sure. I, but I I'm making my book of... designed so you can read it backwards and forwards and it's the same <laughs> oh thing. Oh my and you God. Get it. It's all palindromes. <laughs> yep. Basically, Mark is saying if it's not if it's not the history of ESPN, it's going to be a stretch for him. So I'm glad <laughs> no, that hey, you're making it. You're making it Mark Ellis accessible. It's, it's literally the book that's in the bathroom right now is those guys have all the fun. It's, the story of ESPN. <laughs> it's 30 for 30 on uh, Tenet and uh, Nolan. <laughs> I love it. Um, also, uh, Mike, since you watch things and know more about them than most, uh, give us a recommendation. Oh, you know what? It, it came out a little while ago, but I caught it during quarantine. It's Chernobyl. Go and watch this TV series. Like, I didn't catch it when it first came out. Watching that during the pandemic, seeing how Russia acted and then seeing our country over the past year, the parallels are staggering Ooh, to how people wow. react. And it's go and watch that film right or that TV series right now with yeah. what we've just been through. It's insane. Chernobyl. Greg Maslin. I'm a fan oh, of him God, as a writer. So he's also great. He's also a great Twitter follow. So that's a great one. I, I agree with you uh, on that one yeah, as so well. Good. Yeah, um, I got to do it. I got to check it out at you some have point. To. I will. I'll you get have around to. Yeah. to doing it. Okay. It's five episodes, five or six, real quick. As a count, as a as a pairing, you should watch the Liam Neeson, Harrison Ford, K-19, The Widowmaker, or K-9, The Widowmaker movie, where they have the worst Russian accents in the world, <laughs> that is funny. but the radi there's the radiation scene and it's very similar to mm -hmm. all the horrific crap that yeah. happens in Chernobyl. Mm. K-19 uh -huh. so, it is, yeah. Yeah, but I will say if they had cast Kenneth Branagh, there would have been a better Russian Ooh. accent because he I mean, kills tell it. Tell me how you want to die. <laughs> Love it. Would you like so me good. to slit your throat and put your... your your yeah. male parts your, in the hole. In the hole. <laughs> like, oh Can my I just God. say, if we're going to go Russian, give me John Malkovich and Rounders. No! That's me. Do splash the pot. I splash the pot. Yeah, he's yeah. got the Oreos. <laughs> the Oreos. Like, Boris and Natasha my Realness, pot, ladies and gentlemen. The pot when I want to. And all of our Russian <laughs> listeners are like, unsubscribe. Please, <laughs> yes. please don't. I'm joking. I'm so kidding. And please do stay subscribed to us. Please also follow, rate, Subscribe wherever you're able to on whatever platform and email us here at the show. RT is wrong at Rotten Tomatoes. We want to hear from you. Give us recommendations. Let us know if you are a member of the Ketchup Crew and how many people you have indoctrinated into our calling. All right, Mark, next week, we're going to save the world yet again, right? You know, Jacqueline, I could stay awake just to hear your breathing. It's Armageddon. <laughs> That's 
sounds so creepy. I know. <laughs> I know. I'm not Steven Tyler. And or I can't Diane pull it off Warren. As well. But uh, yeah, we are going to be talking about Armageddon. Uh, we do not want you to miss a thing. So make sure that you do all the stuff that Jacqueline asked you to do with the podcast and come on back next week when we talk about saving the world Michael Bay style. It may not be the filmmaking achievement that Tenet was, but at least we understood the premise. We got to send a bunch of oil drillers to go blow up a giant rock. Because Lord knows we couldn't train spacemen to do that. All right, we'll see you guys next week. Bye-bye. Look around. You can find cars like these on AutoTrader. Like that car riding your tail. Or if you're tailgating right now, all those cars doubling as kitchens and living rooms are on AutoTrader too. Are you working out and listening to this ad at the same time? Well, multitasking pro, cars like the ones in the gym parking lot are for sale on AutoTrader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on AutoTrader. Just you wait. AutoTrader. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of plan investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com.